I will give you a more of an introduction to the book of Daniel uh, in my sermon. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, Daniel is not listed among the prophets. He's listed among the what's called the five scrolls uh, between Ezra, Esther, and Ezra. Um, Daniel is a unique prophet of all the prophets. He has more detail in his future predictions than any other prophet. Uh, Daniel is the one who was taken out with Ezekiel. There were three, three prophets of the exile. Now, the exile is when Israel was punished by God. Um, <clears throat> Israel was taken out. Hey, Mickey. Israel was taken, the northern kingdom, if you remember, I'm going to draw you a little map here. This is kind of the way Israel looks. Uh, even today, Israel is about half the size of the state of Indiana. It's surrounded by Muslim nations that outnumber them 100 to 1. And the Muslim nations have also made incursions. Uh, they're called by a new name, Palestinians, which actually is the Palestinians, original Palestinians, were from, from Canaan, who is the grandson of Noah. And Canaan was the one that Noah woke up, you remember, from the drunk? That's a whole different story. But he cursed him. He cursed Canaan for what his dad had done. And you can read that in Genesis 9. So Canaan was under a curse. Canaan had ten sons, which produced ten tribes, which filled this whole land. They were the original Palestinians. They lived in Palestine. And when Israel came across, they came across the Jordan in flood stage, under uh, Joshua, uh, who uh, Joshua, the name Joshua is the name Jesus. I don't know if you you may already know that the Hebrew word Yeshua became Jesus in the New Testament, and then Jesus to us. But Joshua and Jesus, same name. Joshua led the people across, and the people put their faith in him the way they had in Moses. Because all of a sudden, when the high priest's sandals touched the water of the Jordan in flood stage, which means it's probably a quarter mile across, uh, the water stopped flowing and began piling up up north. It's an amazing story. You read the first couple chapters of, of Joshua and you'll see the story. God creates everything through water. He created the universe through water. 2 Peter 3.5 says the universe was created out of water and by means of water. So water is the thing from which God creates everything. Everything. When Israel's created, he created them through the Red Sea, separating them from all other nations of the world. 
And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So again, passing through the water, the water-spirit connection from Genesis 1 verse 2. Remember that? Spirit brooding over the waters. So the water-spirit connection is always going through here. So here when the Israelites come across Jordan, God uses water again to create a new nation. And he tells them to kill all these people who are under the curse of Canaan. Kill them because they worship idols. Kill fathers, mothers, pregnant women, children. Kill everybody. Nobody ever obeys fully, except for Jesus. And the Jews never did kill all those people. Many of them stayed alive and became their slaves. But if they had obeyed, they would have taken over all this land. It would have all belonged to the Jews. So, after the greatest king that ever lived, Solomon, Solomon's son was a fool. His name was Rehoboam. Uh, And then the the kingdom split under Rehoboam. He decided that he was going to double their taxes. Listen to the young men instead of the elders. The elders said you ought to loosen up on them or they're going to lose them. And the young men said, tell them your little finger is thicker than your father's thighs. And you're going to double up their taxes. And he taxed you with this, and I'm going to tax you with scorpions. So they said, all right, that's it for us. So the northern kingdom split, and it became known as Israel or Ephraim named after the largest tribe of the northern kingdom. Ten tribes split off. So down below, all you have is three tribes. Simeon, which was swallowed up in Judah, and Benjamin. So you got Billy Jack Smith here. Uh, Benjamin, Judah, Benjamin, Judah, and Simeon in the south. So they are called Judah. So you have two two kingdoms now, and two kings. So Rehoboam is king of the three of the south, and Jeroboam, and by the way, Rehoboam and Jeroboam are not the Boam brothers. They're not actually connected that way at all. But uh, Jeroboam didn't want the people going back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's right here. Didn't want the people going back to Jerusalem anymore to worship Yahweh. So he built at a place called Bethel and a place called Dan. He built two big golden calves, Baal, Baal, for the people to worship. And so the people turned from God. Many of them still made the trip to Jerusalem every year. But most of them turned from God and began worshiping Baal. Now, Baal worship was fun because it's sex. Um, They believed if you had sex under an oak tree, in the shade of an oak tree, that your garden would produce more. You know, they believed that Baal gave them the crops. In other words, they they called Baal their husband, their master. That's what the word Baal means. Baal means husband or master. That's why God hated it so much. Because he is the true Baal, the Baal, the the true master, the true husband of Israel. So these people worshipped idols. In 722 B.C., 
the northern kingdom was taken to Assyria. Way, way up north. A thousand miles. Up in the northwestern part of Mesopotamia. Uh, the, the capital of that city, was of that uh, country, was Nineveh. You remember about Nineveh, where Jonah had preached, and the people repented, and uh, they lasted another couple hundred years, and then God caused Babylon to take over. But a serious capital is Nineveh. It's the only E-H that I know of in the Bible. All the others are A-H because it's Yahweh. It's the name Yah at the end, like Isaiah, Yah, Jeremiah, Yah. It's God's name. But Nineveh is a pagan city, a terrible bunch of people. They did repent at the preaching of Jonah, which is a miracle in itself. And they lasted quite a while longer. And then Babylon arose and became more powerful. And in 586, Babylon conquered the southern kingdom. Now, if you remember the story, you remember that in 702, 20 years later, Sennacherib, and you can look that up online, this is how we were able to break down two languages. Sennacherib's prism. He has a six-sided, I believe it is, or eight-sided obelisk or uh, stela, a a big uh, sheet of rock that's several-sided, and it's written in several languages, Akkadian, Ugaritic, uh, Moabitic, and Aramaic, which is the language of Abraham. And they didn't know how to read Akkadian or Ugaritic until they discovered this thing. It's dated about 700 B.C. Uh, he kept an annal of his kingdom. All, all kings kept records, annals of their kingdom. I was going through the, the line one time in the cafeteria at DCC, and there was a pretty blonde girl that was in my class, and she was working behind the counter. Her name was Candy. And she said, what's this about Sennacherib's annals? And I said, <laughs> I said, I said, I'm sorry, uh, <coughs> that would be annals. And it's <laughs> two ends. Uh, let's keep it that way. So anyway, Sennacherib's, Sennacherib, <laughs> sorry about that. But Sennacherib is uh, keeping a record of his kingdom, and he tells all the countries and cities that he conquered. And you can read it. He said, I conquered Nob, I conquered Anathoth, I conquered this city and that city, all the way down. And then he says, I caged up Hezekiah, the king of Jerusalem, like a bird in a cage. But he doesn't say, I conquered. Because if you remember the story, in 702, 20 years later, Sennacherib conquered all the rest of these cities again a second time 20 years later and when he came to Jerusalem he surrounded it with his huge army he had over a quarter of a million soldiers according to Herodotus Uh, Herodotus also tells his story from a different perspective but uh, he he sent a note to really to Yahweh the king of 
Jerusalem. He says, Yahweh brought me here, and Yahweh is going to allow me to conquer you. I'll give you 30,000 horses if you can even put the men on them. In other words, I've got you outnumbered so big that you don't have a chance. I'm going to destroy you. Well, Hezekiah the king took that note to, to Isaiah. And together they went to the temple grounds and laid it on the altar. And they prayed to God. And as Isaiah turned to leave, he suddenly got a message from God, and he turned back around and said, it's not going to happen. Yahweh himself will fight for you. And the Scripture says that night the angel of Yahweh went out and killed 185,000 of the enemy soldiers. King James says, And when they awoke, behold, all these dead bodies. Now, Herodotus says there were rats in the camp, and the people became sick and died overnight. But we know <coughs> the reality behind that. The angel of the Lord killed all these people. And... Uh, Sennacherib went back home, and so on his prism, he conquers every city till he gets to Jerusalem. And he says, I caged up Hezekiah like a bird in a cage, and that's the end of it. He did not conquer Jerusalem. So God protected Jerusalem. Even though Jerusalem was sinning very much like the northern kingdom had, God gave them another hundred and some years to repent, and they didn't. They kept getting worse. And so there are three prophets of the exile. Jeremiah, who stayed behind in Jerusalem. Yadam Yah, the Hebrew word, means God throws. Probably about God throwing the people away into exile. Jeremiah chapter 3 says God was divorced twice. You can read it. My friend Barry Ham, when his second wife left him, had an affair with some guy that she met online. Barry called me and was just heartbroken. He said, I just feel worthless. I feel like God's abandoned me. I said, Jer you need to read Jeremiah 3. And Barry wrote Jeremiah 3, read it, and called me back and thanked me and wrote a book entitled God Understands Divorce because God's been through it twice. That's very interesting, isn't it? You know, God hates divorce, Malachi says, because the people were divorcing over everything. But the reality here is that Jeremiah says, God gave Israel a writ of divorce and sent them away to Assyria. His first wife, his second wife, gave a writ of divorce and sent them away to Babylon. Babylon conquered Nineveh. Nineveh fell 612. We see shortly after that. Daniel, the prophet we're going to talk about today, went out in the first deportation. Now what that means is that when Nebuchadnezzar first came to Jerusalem, because King Zedekiah didn't pay the taxes he was supposed to pay, he paid less than he was supposed to pay, he still had the treasury of the kings of Israel. He could have paid the rest of it. 
Nebuchadnezzar came down and breached the wall, broke it open, came into the city, warned Zedekiah, told him to pay the full amount, and Zedekiah paid the rest. And then Nebuchadnezzar withdrew, went back. That was in 597. That's when he took the best people out of Israel. He took Daniel. He took Ezekiel. He took three others who later were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and several other young men. And he took them, according to the first chapter of Daniel, to teach them the wisdom of Babylon. And so the first thing they had to do is learn the language. See, they spoke Hebrew. But when they went up to Aramea, they had to learn Aramaic. When they go to Babylon, Babylon is also known as Chaldea or Aramea, or Aram, just simply Aram in the Bible. So they had to learn to speak Aramaic. It's the a, it's a same letters, but totally different pronunciation. One can't understand the other. Jeremiah stays in Jerusalem, but Daniel and Ezekiel are taken into exile in Babylon. And Daniel is kept by the king and taught. Daniel is a higher level of person, apparently, than Ezekiel. So he's kept by the king. And Ezekiel is kept to teach the slaves, that is, the Israelites, So God wants everybody to know that he's still in charge of history. He gives Ezekiel to them so that they may know that Yahweh is God. That's that's what he says. He calls Ezekiel son of man almost a hundred times in the book. I think it's 96 times. Son of man. Because he is a prophet in a foreign land. And when Jesus comes, he picks that same term for himself. Son of man, a prophet in a foreign land. He left his heavenly glory and came here. Daniel, the name means God is my judge. Perfect name for him because he became a judge. And Ezekiel means Chazak El, means God is my help. He is called at the age of 30 to prophesy to the slaves. And because the slaves in Israel had stopped listening, this happens in sermons sometimes, happens in classes sometimes, when people just stop listening. Because the Jews had stopped listening because they'd had it up to here. They'd heard the prophets over and over and didn't believe them. So Ezekiel does some very weird thing. Have you ever read the book? Weird. Odd, strange dude. Gives himself a haircut. God said, cut off all the hair. Beard, eyebrows, everything. Divide it into three parts. Take a pinch of it and put it in your wallet. Take your sword and whack one of the parts. Take a fire and light the other part on fire. Take the other third and throw it to the wind. And he said, now... People are wondering, what are you doing? He said, 
A third of Israel is going to be killed by the sword. A third of Israel is going to be burned to death. A third of Israel is going to be scattered to the nations. And they said, well, what about that pinch you put in your wallet? He said, those are the remnant who still believe in me, in Yahweh. And he's speaking for God. There's again and again different strange things he do. He does. He, he lies down on one side uh, for hundreds of days. He goes to work in the morning. He lies down on one side. And stays on that side all day long until it's lunchtime. Then he gets up and fixes his lunch, and God tells him what he has to eat. He says you have to mix different things together, which is against the law, because this is what the people in Israel are doing. They, they don't have enough food. So they're mixing all their different foods together, combining them so they can eat. And you're supposed to cook it over human dung. And he said, oh, God, don't make me do that. And God said, okay, you can use cow chips. So he he cooked it over cow chips. But human dung was so unclean he didn't want to do that. Cow chips bad enough. But he cooked his food that way. And then he would go back and lie down on that same side again. The right side is a symbol for the northern kingdom. No, wait. He laid down his left side first. I'm sorry. Left side first. When you give directions, you face east. The word east in Hebrew means before or in front of. So the left is north, the right is south, and behind is the past, you know, the west. So the northern kingdom, he laid down on, one, on his left side for, I don't remember how many days, 400 and some days, to describe how many years Israel had sinned. So you get the day-year theory. And this happens again and again in the prophets. The next thing I'm going to hand out to you, probably be tomorrow night, will be on the numbers of, the, of Scripture and what the numbers signify. I'm going to get to the handout, I hope. How much time I got? Ten minutes. All day, ten minutes. Uh, So he laid down for one day for every year that Israel sinned. Then on the other side, he he just lies down for 40 days. Just 40 days. Imagine lying on one side. You go to work and lie down. That's your job. Then for lunch, you get up and fix this mix that's unclean, and you eat that, and then you go back and lie down again. God is, is telling him about Israel. Israel also sinned, and 40 is a symbol. Four is a universal number, and 10 is a sufficient number. So 40 is a symbol for universal and sufficient time. Like 40 days, 40 nights, it rained and just you know covered the whole world. Uh, Moses, Elijah, Jesus fast 40 days. So 40 is the universal and sufficient number. It's used over and over in Scripture. Now, that's Ezekiel. Now we're back to Daniel. Daniel's taken out, as I said, in the first deportation. When And I'll finish the story on that when I get uh, in the pulpit, I hope, if the Lord is willing. But Daniel begins the first chapter of his book. He's so unique. He has so much detail that many scholars say this had to be written after the event. In other words, they say that Daniel 
really didn't write the book. It was written much later, and the, the words were ascribed to Daniel after the events took place because he has so much detail on what happens. Well, my, the difference between them and me is I believe in prophecy. And I believe that Daniel has the ability from God not only to interpret dreams the way Joseph did back in Egypt. Remember the Pharaoh's dreams and Joseph? Joseph was a foreigner in Egypt, just like Daniel's a foreigner in Babylon. Moses was another foreigner in Egypt. These, these three men, Joseph of, of Genesis, Moses, and Daniel, are the ones who knew all the wisdom of their world. They knew the Egyptian wisdom. Daniel knew the Babylonian wisdom. But none of that false teaching enters his book. And the first chapter simply tells us this. In the year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, <clears throat> along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of God, his God, in Babylonia, and put the treasure and in the treasure house of his God. This is when he got the money that was owed him uh, and deposed the king. He takes um, Ashpenaz, who is a, a eunuch, and makes him boss over all these young men he has taken out from Jerusalem. He brought these young men to learn wisdom. And the greatest of all of them was Daniel. And Daniel, you remember the story, uh, the king wanted everybody to eat the same food, the king's diet. It, the Hebrew word is pathbag, which is used only here, and it probably means uh, bloody meats and wine. And Daniel didn't want to do that. Uh, we don't know for sure what it means, but they think it means bloody meat. And we know that wine's involved, too, because it's mentioned later. And so Daniel asked Ashpenaz, the, the eunuch over all these young men, can I eat just seeds? Can you give us just seeds? The Hebrew word is zara'im, which means seeds. NIV translates it vegetables. But it really means fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. Anything with seeds, okay? So he wants to be vegetarian. He doesn't want to eat the king's dainties, whatever they were. And so Ashpenaz says, I don't think I can do that because in a, in a few days you will look worse than the guys that eat the king's food. Daniel says, give us ten days. And after ten days, look at us and see if we're not better off than the ones that eat the king's food. And so they gave him ten days. They gave him ten days. And Ashpenaz went back and examined the young men and saw that Daniel and his young men looked better eating vegetables than the others did eating the king's food. So they took all the king's food away from him and gave everybody veg uh, fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables. Okay, the reason I gave you this handout today on the, on the vitamins and minerals, there's some things there that might be of value to you. I'll let you take a look at that. In 1977, my dad got cancer, and I began reading 
Uh, the first book I read was The Save Your Life Diet by Dr. David Rubin, the same guy that wrote uh, What You've Always Wanted to Know About Sex But Were Afraid to Ask. Uh, he's a medical doctor, and that was the first book I read, and then I started reading medical journals and alternatives. And my wife will tell you I've probably read millions of pages of medical journals and alternatives uh, all the time. That's what I've been doing for the last, what, 40 years? Uh, I read stuff and tell my doctor about it because they don't have time to read their own material. Uh, when my mom had osteoporosis, I found an article in the New England Journal of Medicine about a thing called a tidrinate, and I asked him if he was going to give that to mom for her bones, and he never heard of it. So I ran the article off, gave it to him. He read it and gave her a two-week treatment of etidronate, and her bones increased density 20% in two weeks. That's all you're supposed to do is two weeks, and then a year later you can do another two weeks. But it really helped my mom. Uh, you know, if, these, if doctors would keep up with their own information instead of letting the drug companies... Don't get me off on this. The drug companies tell the doctors what to prescribe, and the doctors prescribe enough of that, then we'll send your family to Hawaii. Seriously. It's upside down. The whole system's upside down. There is a rigid orthodoxy in the AMA and the FDA, and anything you do that's outside that orthodoxy is suspect or can't work. And I can tell you from personal experience, uh, I had hepatitis when I was in high school. When I was 42 years old, the doctor told me I had a tumor on my liver. Uh, I went to another doctor to have myself tested. They gave me a sonogram and found out I was a boy. No, they, they gave me a sonogram, and uh, I, could look, I could look at a thin slice of myself. It was really amazing. You can see it on TV. I don't know if any of you have had a sonogram done, but they take a slice, an infinitely thin slice of yourself. I could see why they call the kidney, I could see why they call them kidney beans, because they look just like, you know, big, big uh, kidney beans. Uh, but he said, you don't have a tumor on your liver. You have terribly elevated function in your liver. He said, you need to be bled once a week for the rest of your life. So I went in four weeks in a row and was bled and had to pay because they have to destroy the blood because of hepatitis. Had to pay to have that done. And I read everything I could read on the liver, and I ran across uh, online a... A doctor named Susan Lark, medical doctor, sharp lady. If you can get her mailings, you ladies would get a lot out of it. She does a lot of work for women. But she told me I should get milk thistle extract for my liver. And she said, you can go to Walmart and get that. So I went to Walmart, and sure enough, milk thistle extract, bought it, took it for a couple weeks, went back to my doctor, had him do my liver test again, and Dr. Sikora, old Jewish doctor, David Sikora, came in and said, I don't understand this. Your liver's back to normal. And I said, well, I've been taking milk thistle. He said, never heard of it. That was the end of that, you know. I mean, that's kind of how it works. So if you, if you discover realities, this, this list here, if you have heart problems, heart failure, most incredible thing you can do for yourself is take ubiquinol. It was isolated by the Japanese. You've heard of coenzyme Q10 probably. 
Ubiquinol is the body's form of that. So when you take ubiquinol, it's eight times stronger than coenzyme Q10 because coenzyme Q10 has to be changed by the body into ubiquinol to be usable. Uh, if you have uh, eczema, uh, you need Oregon grapefruit. It's a natural thing that you can take to get rid of eczema. I know because I had eczema. And I started reading up on it, and somebody told me, try taking this. I took six pills a day for several years, and uh, my eczema went away completely, and now it's in remission. I hardly ever take Oregon grape, even though I have it. Um, if you have diabetes, there are three major herbs you can take for that uh, that will help rebuild the Isles of Langerhans in your pancreas to produce insulin that will help your body become more uh, uh, more uh, receptive to insulin. So in other words, if you want to know, there's more stuff. If you want to know anything about that, you can email me. I'm happy to talk to you about it. I'm not a medical doctor, but I, I probably have read a lot more than they have on this stuff. There's so many natural things you can do. You know, what the doctors do today is they give you a chemical that's not, uh, it's, it's exogenic. It's from outside the body. And they give you a chemical that deals with the symptom. They don't really deal with the root cause. They don't have a definition of health. They can't tell you what health is. Well, Daniel was able to re replenish everything he needed by eating vegetables. Probably back then the soils were not deficient as they are today. Uh, today, if you're not taking selenium, that's one of the things on the list, uh, you're missing out on a 10 to 1 cancer study that was done by Harvard for eight years. An eight-year study at Harvard determined that people who took selenium were ten times less likely to get cancer. Uh, men need selenium and, and zinc for their prostates. Women need it for the breast. Uh, all these things, you know, God knows these things. God put everything on this planet to fix everything that's wrong with us. I really believe that. And I think putting exogenous chemicals into the body is destructive to the body. What they'll do is they'll give you a chemical... It'll cause a side reaction. They'll say, well, let me give you another chemical for that. You watch, and you'll end up being on six or eight different things that really don't deal with what the problem is. Um, anyway, that's Barrier Theology 101. I think we're about out of time. I want you to read. I hope you'll read the first couple of chapters of Daniel. Uh, for tonight, I want to talk about Daniel 2 and Daniel 7. Uh, I want to ask if you have any questions about what we've talked about. Yes. He talked to the yeah. Daniel talked to the kings. I should have said that. He talked to the royal house. In fact, Daniel prophesied clear down into about the third year of Cyrus. So Daniel went through three dynasties, Babylon, Medes, and the Persians. And we'll talk about this tomorrow in more detail, tomorrow evening. Uh, but chapter 2 deals with this, and then chapter 7 parallels it. 
when something in the Bible happens two times? You remember when Pharaoh had two dreams? The fat ears of corn, the skinny ones, the fat cows and the skinny ones. Daniel says the two are one. And it means God has decreed what's going to happen in the future. There'll be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. You remember the whole world came to Egypt thanks to Joseph. He saved the world, basically. He was second in command in the kingdom because of his ability that God gave him. And he never took credit for it. He always said God is able to interpret dreams. Daniel's the same way. The heavens interpret dreams. Uh, By the time of Daniel, they didn't use God's name as much. And so he begins calling God the heavens or the heavenly one. Uh, He tells Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, the heavens rule. It means God rules. But the Jews were avoiding that name. Yes. Yes, I'm going to talk about that. Yes, 606. Yeah, 606 is the first one. Then he came back a third, a second time, and then he came back a third time, and that's when he was really angry. Well, I could be wrong. It may have been in the first deportation. I did put first deportation up there, but I put 597. 597 is really the second one. 606 is the first one. You're right. Glad I got another scholar here to straighten me out. 606 was the original deportation. I'm not sure. I think this is the one that he came out in, though. I think it was 597. But we'll. Okay. All right. So that's right. You're right. So the first deportation was 606. You can straighten out that date. Thank you. Yeah, I needed to take a look at that again. I've been reading the Sonsino Commentary, which is uh, done by the Jews in Jerusalem. And uh, I probably haven't read far enough in it to get back to this again, but I think you're right. That's the first. There's a second, and there's a third. And the third one, when Nebuchadnezzar came the third time, you'll hear me talk about that in my sermon, because he's really, really angry with the Jews. They rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. Uh, The the second time he took uh, Zedekiah outside the city with his family, King Zedekiah, killed all his family in front of his eyes and then gouged out his eyes. So the last thing he saw was the death of his family. And then he felt pity on him and took him to Babylon and let him eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. But he established a new governor named Gedaliah. I guess if you gouge somebody's eyes out after killing all their family, you would tend to feel a little sorry for them. No, didn't seem like it. Except when he repented under Daniel and, yeah. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. Let's pray.